every so often, one of those memes, right, one of those quotes starts circulating on the internet, and I start seeing it pop up sometimes, more than once, over and over again, people sharing this quote as if it resonates with something real in our lives. And that was what happened with this quote right here. I love how being an adult is just saying, but after this week, things will slow down a bit again to yourself until you die. (laughs) But after this week, things will slow down a bit again. How many of you have said that to yourself in the last year? That's almost everybody in this room. Yeah, me too. Maybe right now you're realizing how often you may have said it to yourself in the last year. We hope that this is not what life is like, right? This endless loop of things just coming at us one after the next. But sometimes it feels like what life is like. We get busy and overwhelmed. Time feels like it's getting away from us, slipping away day by day and week by week. And eventually it can feel like things just keep on unraveling and there's no time to ravel back up. We have no clue how to get back to that life of meaning or intention that we are hoping for. Our message series for this holiday season, a time when this feeling can really come up for many of us. Our message series that Chris Chappelle preached on last week and that Reverend Ken and I will continue for the rest of the year, Entertaining Angels. It may at first seem like it doesn't have much to do with this question, but I think it walks us through exactly this tension. In the times that we feel like everything is falling apart, unraveling, and no one is helping put things back together again. Where do we look for inspiration and hope to find a different way to live? How do we remember that there are people who have stepped off of this hamster wheel, and maybe we can too? When we feel this way, we can all choose to look, both at each other inside this community and outside of its doors for the places that we see that vision of a world already happening for the little eruptions of goodness of angelic goodness that we can connect to and draw strength from and build upon there are reminders out there that we can live in that world and that when we live in it even just one little bit at a time We help make it real for each other. This week when I saw this quote, I was actually reminded of a story like this from one of our own. Many of you uh, might recognize the face of the guy in the middle. That's Stephen Tomcavage. We lost Stephen earlier this year. He was a member of our community for the better part of a decade. He was one of our most dedicated and devoted volunteers in youth spirit with our kids. He died this summer 
At 47, after the recurrence of a lifelong heart condition that he had lived with since birth. Now, we have lost more than one member of our community since I arrived here in 2013. But Stephen's death will always hold a different place in my heart because Stephen was the first member of this community whose death I was present for. As his pastor, his family had time to think, not much time, but time to think about how they wanted to surround him and be with him in those last moments, and they invited me to be present with them. Those are Stephen's kids with him. That's Lily on the right and Arlo on the left. And they decided to be with their dad in the room when he passed away as well. There's no way to put into words what it's like to be with someone as they die. I know some of us in this room know what it's like. I will tell you, though, that time most certainly slows down. Time stretches to accommodate the grief and the love in the space surrounding that person at the end. And there is something, again, no words for it, there is just something about watching a regular person, someone beloved to us, so real and so human, move from a life in their body to what? To I don't know. Moving to a life that is nowhere and everywhere all at once. And in the days and the weeks and the months and the years that follow, moving to a life that's carried on now only in other people's hearts, a life carried on in the hearts of the people who love them. Stephen had a best friend named John. Now, I had never met John before I was there for Stephen's passing, and I don't think any of you probably had either. I don't think he ever came to Wellsprings. But John was also invited to be with Stephen's family as he died. So that tells you something about what kind of a friend he was. If any of you were at Stephen's memorial service, you might remember John as the bearded guy in a tweed jacket who sat right over there in the front pew, getting up every so often at the exact right point of the service to start and stop the music or to play the slideshow of photos. John ended up being our one-man unofficial tech team (laughs) that day at the service. And he actually called me and told me before the memorial as I was preparing that I could call on him to help with anything that I needed for that day. When the time came in the service for all of the people gathered to share their memories and their stories, John got up to the microphone and he told us he'd met Stephen in college, part of one of those big groups of college friends that stuck together in their 20s and their 30s. And one of their favorite things to do was to get together for a game night 
About once a month, they'd have these raucous, laughter-filled, late-night, good-natured parties where they would play board games, which gave them just enough time to talk with each other, to catch up on their lives, to eat and drink and have a good time. And John said to all of us there that he remembered one particular night as they were closing up shop, getting ready to go home. They started pulling out their calendars to pick the date for their next game night. And Stephen pulled out his phone and he looked at the date that they were planning on. And he said to John, I'm sorry, buddy. I can't make it next month. Arlo has a parent-teacher conference that night. And in his tweed jacket and beard, holding the mic, standing in front of all of the people who love Stephen, John said, you know, I couldn't resist ribbing him on that a little bit. I said, listen, Stephen, Arlo's, what, seven years old? I'll tell you about parent-teacher conference night, okay? They have snack, they color, they read a book, they play with blocks, recess, end of day. Come on. What do you need to know from your kid's teacher in the second grade? Skip the parent-teacher conference and come hang out with us. And John told us that Stephen, with total kindness, but also total clarity, put a hand on his friend's shoulder and said, I know, John, but Arlo's only going to be in second grade once. Arlo's only going to be in second grade once. So I'll see you the next time. John's voice started to break as he told us all, of course, that that's just the kind of guy that Stephen was. And as he looked Lily and Arlo in the eye and told them how much their dad loved them and always put them first, no question. And trust me, we all had a good cry. Just maybe like some of us in this room are having a good cry. In his message two weeks ago, Reverend Ken said that he doesn't really believe in literal angels. And I'm not sure that I do either. Stephen was a regular guy who literally sat here among us, after all, right? And none of us, as far as I know, is currently or has ever been a perfect angel. But we don't have to believe in literal angels to believe in the angelic. To believe in an otherworldly sense and presence of love around us and within us. It was such a small thing, that story. But what struck me about it wasn't so much the difference that maybe it made for Arlo to have such a kind and attentive father or even the difference for Stephen, who clearly had some admirable ability to live in alignment with his own intentions. What struck me was the impact it had on John. John, who knew Stephen for decades, who I'm sure had umpteen stories of moments of Stephen's life that he could have told us all, but it was that one little exchange. That was the story he chose to tell at his best friend's funeral. I wonder what it'll be for me or for any of us. What will it be that someone remembers about us?
I called this message today, Audience of One, because I think this is the take home for why our choices in our little small lives matter so much. Because an audience of one is never an audience of one. Stephen made one comment to his friend while leaving a party a dozen years ago, but for some reason that comment shifted how his friend saw him in such a powerful way. And so that one little comment became the story he told to hundreds of people who gathered to remember him. It became one of the most poignant moments that his friend's minister would remember about the whole day. And therefore, she would end up telling that story to a whole other room of people. And God knows who many people, how many people will listen on the podcast. And who knows who you might tell that story to. About that one little comment. About wanting to be present in the life of someone that we love. An audience of one is never an audience of one. At any point in our lives. The verse in the Christian New Testament that we take the title of this message series from, Entertaining Angels Unaware, I think that's the King James translation, very flowery and fancy always in the King James translation. That verse is from a letter, a letter that was written by one of Jesus' followers to an early community of Christians. Like most of the letters in the New Testament, it is about how they should be together as a community, as a people of faith. Whenever I read that part of the New Testament, it's remarkable to me how much the things that spiritual communities are still working towards today still resemble what churches were wrestling with 2,000 years ago. Here's that passage from the more contemporary message translation. The author says, stay on good terms with each other, held together by love. Be ready with a meal or a bed when it's needed. Why, by doing this, some have extended hospitality to angels without ever knowing it. Regard prisoners as if you were in prison with them. Look on victims of abuse as if what happened to them had happened to you. Don't be obsessed with getting more material things. Be relaxed with what you have. These words have been repeated and read so many times, retold by so many preachers and pastors across generations, that they have shaped the world we live in today. They've shaped our communities of faith who are still asking these questions at their core, right? How do we show compassion? How can we stay together in tough times and support each other? How do we help each other get clear on what really matters the most? The author of the letter continues. Let's go outside where God is. That's where the action is. Not trying to be privileged insiders, knowing God only for ourselves, satisfied in our own little churches. This insider world is not our home. 
we have our eyes peeled for the city, for heaven, for the beloved community, our vision of the world that is about to come. I think that we do always have our eyes peeled. I think all of us crave that we look for something angelic, something from that imagined place, something that reminds us always that the presence of love really does move here among us. We hope that things will slow down eventually, maybe after this week, long enough for us to see it again, because we know we've seen it before. We've all seen glimpses of moments, regular people who we've known, who we suspect hold one of the keys to the kingdom, or at least did that one time in that one conversation. When we keep our eyes peeled for that vision of what we hope for, when we trust that it's always erupting somewhere in some small spark around us, then maybe it becomes easier for us to put ourselves out there too. No matter how big or how small our actions or our audience might seem. And sometimes when we put ourselves out there, we get to see that it really does change things. That it really does help make something real. I would bet that none of you recognize the members of this band. Anyone? Now, some of you may not even recognize the name of the band, Rusted Root. A couple of people, yeah. If you don't recognize either the pictures or the name, you probably know if you were alive in the 90s and turned on a radio, their hit song, Send Me On My Way. Right? Send me on my way, on my way, send me on my way, on my way. Send me on my way. Send me on my way. Yeah. Um, fun fact, when I was a teenager in the 90s, I thought that song was called Simeon the Whale. I don't know what I thought it was about. Some kind of monkey whale creature, I guess. Also, fun fact, my favorite misheard lyric story is still my friend from college. He thought the TLC song Waterfalls was about a guy named Jason Waterfalls. Think about it. Yeah. Anyway. Early in the 90s, this group of friends, Rusted Root, they were a local jam band in Pittsburgh. They were a group of people that got together, friends, and played on stages, mostly in and around their hometown. But they managed to get booked in those early days to play a very rare gig out on the road in Noblesville, Indiana. They were so psyched, right? They were on tour like a real band, And they arrived at the venue, they unpacked their gear, they looked around, and there was no one there. They were setting up on a stage in the middle of an empty parking lot. And their first thought was, oh, crap, do we have the wrong day, right? So they called their promoter, but nope, this was the right day, right place, right on time. Bad news. (laughs) So they set up. They warmed up. Still, there were zero concert attendees surrounding them. 
Years later, their drummer, Jim Donovan, remembered that it was Jen, one of their singers, who called everybody together and said something like, listen, guys, we have nothing more to lose here, so let's go on stage and play like it's the last time we will ever get to play. Let's play like we'll never play again. And Jim said, we did. We performed like animals that day. Seven musicians on stage wailing away on our instruments like we were playing a sold-out show at Madison Square Garden. About halfway through the set, Jim noticed a woman literally walking her dog through the parking lot <laughs> about 50 yards away. And he, she stopped. She stopped and started to listen. And Jim said, this is our one and only audience member. All I could think was, oh, my God, please don't leave. <laughs> she didn't. And when the band finally finished their last song, the woman came over to wait for them with her little dog at the bottom of the backstage steps. And they came around the corner of the stage. They walked down the stairs and they realized, oh, my God. This is Cheryl freaking Crow. <laughs> Cheryl Crow, who was playing a main stage in the same festival later that weekend, was out walking her dog and stopped to listen. Nine-time Grammy Award winner, Cheryl Crow. She looked at them with big, wide eyes, and she just said, that was the weirdest and coolest thing I've seen in a long time. Is this a rehearsal? <laughs> they explained, no, it's not a rehearsal. They just didn't have any fans outside of Pennsylvania. And she said, well, you know what, guys? Why don't you come open for me for my next two shows? Why don't you come play in New York and Philadelphia? They arrived for that next show the morning before the New York gig. And because they had this opportunity to open for Cheryl Crow, their manager wrangled them a last-minute appearance on a morning radio station. They got out of bed at like 5 a.m. They all piled into the studio and they played an acoustic version of Send Me On My Way for the radio. And that acoustic recording in the studio, it got put in the station's regular rotation. And then it got picked up by other radio stations all across the country. And in a matter of literally months, Rusted Root went from playing for nobody on a stage in the middle of an empty parking lot to touring with the Allman Brothers, the Grateful Dead, eventually selling over three million copies of their music. Jim Donovan, the drummer, he said, I often think to myself, what would have happened if we didn't completely go for it in that vacant parking lot? What if we just phoned it in? What if we had very reasonably decided to go home and not to play at all? It turned out that that moment was a monumental choice for us. It turns out that we should never think of our audience as an audience of one. We might always, at any moment, be entertaining angels unawares making the choice or the call that someone will remember us by, living the life that matters with the time that's been given to us right now. Perhaps there really is this otherworldly presence 
of love around us and within us at all times. And perhaps together we will begin to see it more and more clearly. If we can only remember to keep our eyes peeled and to show up and be that love for each other. Amen. And may you live in blessing. I invite you to join me in prayer. God, whose other name is love. There are moments in all of our lives when you feel very far away, when we feel like no one is listening, no one is watching, everyone's being rude to us in the grocery store line. May we be inspired by each other. May we feel the grace and the ease of knowing we don't have to do it on our own. We don't have to perfect ourselves. We can keep our eyes peeled for the angels around us, for the ones who will help us grow and change and shift the orientation of our hearts. May we be grateful for each other as much as we can be for the prayers I've spoken and for the prayers that each of these people carries on their hearts. We say amen.